Hello, and welcome to French Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. Our mission is to become a community of authentic Christ followers compelled to change the world. For more information about services and our community, go to friends.church slash Eastvale. Thanks for listening. Good to see you all. Uh, my name is Aaron. If you have not yet met, I serve as the pastor of our church. And uh, good to be together. If uh, you're around and you don't want to rush off to watch the Ravens beat, um, thank you, sir, it's perfect right there, beat Kansas City, um, you can hang out with me. Oh my gosh, I did not know that would have that kind of uh, effect. Um, I didn't say anything about Lions and 49ers uh, on purpose, on purpose, because uh, I know what's right here. Um, uh, but we can hang on the back of the seven-minute hangout after service, just put a face to the name, that'd be great. Um, last week, I got in the mail from my accountant a packet to prepare my taxes for this coming year. Boo, I know, yeah, yeah. And it's my least favorite thing that I do every year because it's this very tedious packet. Every receipt has to go in there, and I got to make sure it's all organized and turned in. Um, and it's really overwhelming. It took a whole day to do it, you know. And then right before Christmas time, I got uh, the, the property tax bill for our condo. And I looked at this year's, what's due this year compared to last year, and it went up. And I don't think there's anybody in this room that likes to pay taxes, okay? And if you do, you probably work for the IRS and you're sick and you're twisted. Um, but what also makes me, like, frustrated about taxes is, the, is, is not just how much it costs, but where does it actually go, right? It's like, okay, it's, it's like, okay where does it go? Where does it go? Uh, in 2017, a senator uh, released all the most ridiculous places that our taxes went to. And my favorite when I read the list was um, uh, a $500,000 uh, tax uh, grant uh, given to test the endurance of fish, okay? And so they put mud skippers on a treadmill. This sounds like a fifth grader's like, like dream in life to do. And they, they ran the treadmill until the mud skippers got exhausted. That was where the tax dollars went to. I'm like, man, that sounds kind of fun to do on a, on a, on a, on a rainy day somewhere. Um, now, come April, we might wonder, like, where do my tax dollars go? Um, but have you ever wondered, what impact does my giving make here at church? I actually wondered if I could even ask that question. Like, what impact can I ask that question? Is that appropriate to ask? And it was for the Apostle Paul. In chapter 4 of Philippians, at the very end of his letter on uh, this wonderful book of the Bible, he talks about the support that the Philippians had given to him. And he shares with them the impact that they are giving made to the ministry. And this morning, um, we want to wrap up our, our, our series on Flourish. We've been talking for five weeks called Flourish. And looking at these five areas of discipleship in our church of how we flourish in life and with God. And if you've been paying attention, uh, we talked about like our gather, grow, go. That's our main discipleship pathway here at our church. But I had two extra weeks, which is always fun for a preacher. And so I got to choose a few of the topics that are important. One of them was prayer. And getting connected to God. Then we talked about circle, circle making, right? Praying your circles. Hopefully you're doing that still. And then we talked about gathering and belonging to a church. And we flourish when we belong and when we're known. Then we talked about growing spiritually and cutting out anything that hinders our run. And how important it is for us to run the race without kind of being pulled back by sin. And then last week Lee talked about going and sharing our faith with those who don't know Jesus. And today I want to talk about giving to the work of God. Giving to the work of God, and really giving joyfully. And I did not, by the way, if you're new and you're visiting because of kids and all that, you might be like, oh, this is the bad week to come. It was not planned that week. Uh, it just ended up being that week because we want to honor Tori, and we had parents. It just all kind of worked together. Uh, but this is a week for us as a church to kind of look underneath the hood 
and to talk about what uh, does my giving do here at our church. Um, and I'm excited about that. And I want to first off just thank you. If you call this place your home church, thank you for giving. Um, if that's all you hear today, that's the most important thing. Thank you for supporting this place. Um, you know, without you, we wouldn't have this place. Um, so thank you so much. I also want you to know that this is not coming out of any anxiety at all. Like, we are not anxious about money at our church. Like, we are actually 5 to 8% above our budget, which is great for a church two years in. Um, and that's because of your faithfulness to give and believe in this place. So this is actually not about anxiety in any way at all. It's not about burden, or it's not about trying to push into something. This is really about our hearts and our discipleship to Jesus, and it's an important part of it. So Philippians chapter 4, it says this, verse 14. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. And uh, we will break it down verse by verse after I read the entire paragraph. Here's what it says. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Verse 14, now 15. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, that's the state that Philippi was in, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Lord Thank you for this morning. There's already just been a, a real a tangible sense of your Holy Spirit. Even as we were uh, worshiping this morning, I looked down and I saw a four- or five-year-old girl just praising Jesus. And that is just a sign of fruit right there, Lord. Uh, I'm, I'm good. I can go home now. And uh, it's like, okay, this is great. Thank you for that. Um, so, Lord, we thank you for the families that we got to dedicate today. We thank you for the chance to be together as the family of God. And as we gather, Lord, we get to reorient ourselves uh, back to your great story. That this world is not just about economics, it's about much more than that. Uh, I pray, Lord Jesus, that in the time that we have left today, that your word would give us clarity on how our giving impacts the kingdom and impacts our lives and impacts you and impacts other people. And give us uh, the joy of giving, Lord. Um, give us the joy of giving beyond ourselves to things that matter most to you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the signs of health for a church is when I hear that uh, when people are distressed or in the hospital, when they receive meals and cards and gifts uh, from you, apart from me having to organize it. You know it's a healthy church when that happens. And some of you can testify that that's happened to you, that you, were, uh, you gave birth to a child and someone sent you a meal or a card, and that is a sign that God is working and doing something really good. And in verse 14 of our passage, the Apostle Paul is on the receiving end of the care of the Philippian church. He says, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. The trouble that Paul is talking about is prison. That's a big trouble right there. And uh, the Philippian church was caring for Paul while he was there. Paul was in prison in house arrest in Rome for preaching the gospel. Um, while he was in Rome, in prison, he wasn't treated poorly as a prisoner, uh, not as poorly as some. He was actually kind of in a more lavish setting because he was a Roman citizen. So he was allowed to walk around. He kind of had a little apartment, if you will, uh, in Rome where he was under house arrest. But the problem was that even under those situ that situation, uh, Paul didn't receive any kind of care from the Roman prison system. 
And that meant that people had to send him food and blankets and um, pillows and, uh, you know, daily needs and even books. He actually asked for books at one point in the Bible to read. Uh, and if he didn't receive care, he would likely get sick and possibly die. Now, who would give him that care? Who would come to his aid? What was this church, the Philippian church, the church in Philippi, 800 miles away? I think we have a little map to give us some context of where we are. You can see Philippi way over there on the right, or is that your left? I don't know. Um, And then Rome over here. Paul is over there in Rome. Philippi is way over there in Philippi. And they sent him aid. And aid came to him in the form of a person named Epaphroditus. He He brought a care package for him. We read about Epaphroditus in verse 18. I'm amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They didn't have uh, Grubhub back in the first century. Epaphroditus had a cross. Can we put that, that, that map back up? Epaphroditus had to cross all of Greece. He had to then go through the Adriatic Sea on a ship. Then he had to get to, uh, to Italy. I don't know if he spoke Italian back then. I don't know what his languages were. Then he had to get to Rome. I've actually been to the prison they believe Paul was in. It's, uh, it's in the middle of the ancient city. It's kind of hard to get to. And he had to find Paul. How do you think Paul felt when Epaphroditus walked in with all the care package that he needed? Like a freshman in college whose mom sent him, you know, like a bunch of chocolate and money, you know. He probably felt like he had been seen. He probably felt like, oh, somebody cares for what I am doing for Jesus. I'm sure he thought to himself, this is an answer to prayer. I've been praying the Lord's Prayer. I've been praying as Jesus taught me to pray. And Epaphroditus showed up. The gift that the Philippians sent served as a reminder of the friendship that existed between Paul and the Philippians. The word share in our passage in the Greek is koinonia, and it means to share in friendship. But this isn't just kind of a a superficial friendship. This is a friendship where you suffer together and you have joy together in a cause. It's kind of like a team. You know, you lose together and you win together. The Greek word for this is communitas. It means it's a community that has a cause together, that suffers together, and they have joy together. And so when they sent this gift to Paul, they shared in friendship, real friendship to him. And that's the hope that we have when we give visitors our little coffee cup, you know, in a small way. As you go and you sip your coffee in the morning, that you will know that you have a place that you belong, a place that you can call your home, where you can share in friendship, where you can share even in the hard times and in the joyful times. We hope that all happens in eight ounces of coffee as you sit there. (laughs) in the morning. But that's the thing that gets overlooked with giving. You see, our giving goes to care for the people in this room. It goes to care for one another. And so point number one today is what impact does my giving make? Well, it goes to care for the family of God in this room right here. It does not go to another campus that we're part of in the tribe. It doesn't go to a big bucket we draw from. It goes to the people in this room and primarily goes to care for our facility. Um, to keep the lights on, like literally, so we can have this place. It goes, a lot of it, to kids' ministry. Our um, kids' program, I literally, you know, we laugh at this, but it started in a bar, and it's kind of become part of the narrative of our, of our church. It's like we were in a bar, we had to cover up all this liquor with black tablecloths and tape it, and no parents would ever dedicate their children in that setting, except for you guys, you guys were the first, I think, uh, <laughs> literally. 
<laughs> I have a picture two years ago this Sunday. And we, we blessed, you know, it was great. Um, but God brought us to this place, and we have three great classrooms that our children are in now, which is awesome. We have a fourth that's being opened right by Kristen right now. Kitty's like, don't forget the fourth one. I got you. Um, and she's working on that right now. Uh, and so a lot of the giving goes to this community right here. And so when you think about the impact it's making, it makes an impact on the people right next to you, right in this place. One of the reasons why people don't give to churches, unfortunately, is because of scandal. And we've all heard and we all know that there are scandals in Christian settings. I hate to say that out loud, but that is true, as well as secular ones. And so people may even wonder, uh, what accountability is there in a place like this? A new church, is there any accountability at all? And yes, there is. You see, all giving goes to a financial team at our main campus in Yorba Linda, and there's like five different accountants that process it in different ways, in account and out account. Uh, and then it's audited every single year. The IRS doesn't even require that from us. We just do it as part of our stewardship. And then there's four layers of review um, from leadership on our budgets. And so I review our budgets first, then it goes to our executive pastor, then it goes to our main accountant, and then it goes to our elders that oversee all of the campuses to make sure that when you give, that that giving goes to actually build this church up. That's what it goes to. Philippians knew that when they gave to Paul, it would go to build up Paul and friendship with him. But they also knew it would go beyond Paul. Look down at verse 15. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel. See, Paul had planted the church in Philippi. That's what he means by the acquaintance with the gospel. He taught them who Jesus was, the good news of Christ. But then he heard about a need in Jerusalem. The Christians in Jerusalem were suffering under persecution. And so Paul left Philippi, and he went around all the Mediterranean asking churches to give a financial gift, kind of like what we did for Carissa and Young Life today, um, to care for the persecuted Christians in Jerusalem. And so he went around and asked them for uh, money. And I don't know if anybody has dreamt of being a fundraiser in their life. That's a tough job. Uh, some of you, are, a lot of us are in sales. Like, you got a lot of salesmen here. But fundraising is like a different deal, you know. To go and sit down with somebody and ask them for money is a really hard thing. It's a dehumanizing thing. It's a painful thing. There's a lot of rejection. And Paul faced it. Look down what it says. Not one church shared in with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. Only the Philippian church gave to care for the Christians in Jerusalem. Not even the great church of Antioch, where people were first called Christians, Little Christ, which is where our namesake comes from, right? Not even Antioch, they didn't even give, but Philippi did. Now, they must have been wealthy. No, actually, they were really poor. This was a poor church. You know, maybe they only gave once. No, they actually gave regularly. It says this, verse 16, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Um, and that's a credible testimony to, to that. So what do I do, Aaron, if money is tight or I'm unemployed? Um, and, I, and I know that as a pastor, uh, several of us have gone through unemployment this year. Well, what am I to do? Am I exempt from that? Well, the biblical principle of giving is to give out of a, a joyful heart that you've determined in your own heart. Some of us who may have learned from other churches or discipleship about this 10% tithe, okay? Maybe like the tithe, the 10%. And just so you know, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but if you add up all the things that God asks the people in the Old Testament to give, it's actually like 22%, not 
Um, and so God actually doesn't reaffirm the 10% principle in the New Testament. The principle in the New Testament is to give what you've determined in your heart before the Lord, to give out of what you want to give. It's an it's a, it's a active response to what God has given to you and I. And so the 10% rule is more of like a, a goal to get to. If you're new to giving to any kind of cause of Christ, my advice pastorally is to begin with 3% of your income and work your way up from there like 3%, 4%, somewhere right around there, I think it's the right heart and the right disposition to want to lean into what God is doing. But if you're unemployed, remember that God's um, house is supposed to be a house of mercy. You know, God never wanted this place or any place to be a place where the weary would come and then feel more burdened by it. And so there's actually in the Old Testament a principle that does apply to us, where in the Old Testament, those who were without money and without work, um, he would allow them to pick the fruit up off the ground that had fallen from the trees, and then he made provision for them to change their sacrifice when they went to the temple. And so I think the principle still applies that if you're without work and you're hurting financially, that for a season until you get on your feet again, that you tithe through your talent and your, and your, um, and your time, not just your treasure, that you serve the Lord in a different way. And then when you get back on your feet and you have a job, you say, it's my heart to trust you with the wealth you've given me, the job you've given me for the future, and thank you so much, Lord. But we never want this place to be a place where you walk in and go, oh my gosh, I feel so burdened because I, I don't give. No, it's a place of mercy, a place where the weary um, can receive and be cared for, not a burden, but a blessing. Well, what about most of us who have jobs? You know, I think for most of us uh, that we, we work, um, it's that money's tight. It's not that we don't have work, it's that money is really tight. What are we to do then, Aaron? Um, what are we to do in that situation? Well, the answer, ironically, is actually on our money. Because on our dollar bill, it's so ironic. <laughs> you know where I'm going with this, right? And this is, this is where I'm at. Like, like, money is tight. I got an 11-year-old, I got a 9-year-old. Things just, you know, it's, it's expensive to live in California, what am I to do? It tells us what to do. In money we trust. <laughs> no. In God we trust. In God we trust. Our own money is telling you what the answer is when money's tight. Don't look to getting more of this. Look to using this to trust God for what he will give. It's about trusting the Lord. In fact, when we give to him, that's what the ultimate act of it is, is that we're trusting him with what we have. And when we do, it actually impacts God. So look down with me at verse 18. It says this, I have received full payment and more than enough and amply supplied. Um, your gifts, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. All throughout the Old Testament, the, um, the people of God worshiped God, but their worship was compromised by sin. And the Old Testament prophets looked forward to a day when God's people could worship him without any compromise. Isaiah 60, Isaiah 57 talks about this, that God would accept their worship, it'd be good worship. And that day has come because of what Jesus has done for us, paying for our sin. When we worship him, our worship is acceptable to him. And our giving is an act of worship, Paul says. So that when we give to God, it's actually saying to God, I trust in you and not in this. And it impacts Jesus. When we give, it actually impacts his heart. He sees everything that we give. He sees the widow give a mite. He sees Joseph of Arimathea give up his tomb. 
He sees the early church donate to care for the needs of the early church. He sees it, and he's overjoyed by it, and his heart is moved. So you're like, why is this whiteboard up here? I'm sorry for, uh, you know, right there on that side. It's not very good. But the first place this goes, your, your, your giving goes to, it goes up to build this church. And then second circle, it goes beyond this church. I'm going to get that in a second. Um, uh, beyond these walls. And then, of course, it goes, of course, to uh, impact Jesus' heart. Jesus is impacted by your giving, which is pretty incredible. And um, he responds and he says that he's going to meet all of our needs. He says, and my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Now, we're oftentimes reluctant to give because of a scarcity principle. I have a, I have a little illustration here I wanted to get. I should have brought it up earlier. It's some cookies, okay? Some cookies. We all like cookies, especially today after football. The scarcity principle says that if I give a percentage of my income to God or anything to God, I'll have less for myself. The scarcity principle says that if, if I give a, a piece of the cookie that I have to, to God or to his cause, then I have less cookie for me, right? That's kind of the mentality we think sometimes. But brothers and sisters, God does not work according to the scarcity principle. The passage says that he has all the riches of Christ Jesus. He has more than we even understand. He can raise the dead he can heal the sick. He can bring hope to the depressed. He can be friends to the friendless. He can get jobs to those who don't have jobs. He can actually meet our needs. See, we don't want to live by the scarcity principle. We want to live by the abundance principle. That God has everything that we could ever want or ever need. Now, does that mean that God is like a bank account? That I just, I go, okay, I gave to God. Now, God, you better get back to me. Give me a cookie. Um, it doesn't work that way. And that all depends on what is meant by the word need in our passage. Um, sometimes God does meet our physical needs with physical things. So someone in our church last week needed a job, and then he prayed, and he got an interview the next day. That's pretty cool. That's God. Like, he met a physical need with a physical thing. But sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he meets our needs by giving us the strength and the ability to face every circumstance. Sometimes he meets our needs with friends to encourage us. And that is why we can famously say verse 13, which I didn't read, but is the famous football verse, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Right? Every Christian football player is going to have a tattoo. And it doesn't mean that I can run through uh, a, a linebacker in the name of Jesus, although he could do that if, I, if we needed to do that. What it means is that I have this, God will give me the needs, the strength to face any circumstance that I'm in, whether I have plenty or I have none. Whether he gives me the job or I don't, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. He will provide and meet needs, sometimes physical with physical ones, sometimes in other ways as well. So you're giving. How does it impact? Well, it impacts to build up this church. It impacts Jesus' heart. Third, it impacts beyond, uh, going beyond these walls. Um, uh, as I mentioned before, that it would go and care for these, these people. But um, I want you to know that today your giving went beyond to, to impact uh, Young Life and Carissa. Um, but it also goes to impact, I think, future young generations that aren't here yet. Um, I love praying for those two young men, uh, Ethan and Evan. I don't know where you guys are over here. Um, simply because that was on my heart this week. Did you guys know that 1.2 million teenagers walk away from church for good every single year in America? That is one student every 26 seconds. 
And the reason why they walk away from church is because they don't have a real relationship with anybody from the church. So my friend Justin, he planted a church um, uh, six months after we did. And if we can bring up the picture, this past week he sent me this picture. It's his church passing like, in and out to his local high school. I was like, way to go, Justin. But the competitor in me, because I am a competitor at heart, was like, yo, we are going to do this sometime. So in the next two months, we plan to uh, launch some sort of discipleship stuff for our students. And at some point, we're going to be giving out in and out to Roosevelt students and Norco High School and JFK students. That's the impact that your generosity is going to give. It goes to build up one another. It goes beyond this place, and it actually impacts Jesus' heart when we give. But fourth, it also impacts your heart. It impacts your soul. That's the last one. It impacts you. Right in the middle. It impacts us. You ever heard of compound interest before? You're like, yeah, it's my favorite thing in the whole world. <laughs> Everyone who's retired is like, go compound interest, please. Compound interest, uh, I looked it up, definition of it. It's when you earn interest on the money you've saved and on the interest you earn along the way. This is how retirement accounts work. If you put $10,000 away into a retirement account at 8% interest, and you don't touch it at all for 25 years, it turns into $68,000. That's how compound interest works. The word credited in verse 17 is a word for compound interest. How cool is that? It's in the Bible. Paul says this, Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. He says, I'm not interested in you giving to, like, to me necessarily. I'm interested in the compound interest it makes in your life. What does he mean by that? What he means is when we give regularly to God, there is a spiritually compounding effect on our maturity. When you regularly give to God, there's a spiritually compounding effect on the strength of your faith. How does that work? Because every single week or every month, however you give regularly, you're saying to God, I'm trusting in you and not in wealth. And over time, you begin to see God meet all of your needs and give you uh, strength to face every circumstance, and your faith begins to have a compounding impact because of that act of giving and giving generously to him. So what impact does your giving make and my giving make? This is the take-home truth, and the main idea today is this. It makes a compounding impact. Your giving makes a compounding impact. It impacts your heart so that your faith grows. It impacts this community, so it impacts more people's lives here. It goes beyond our walls and beyond the present moment to impact lives we don't even know yet. And then it impacts Jesus' heart, who sees us when we give and give joyfully to him. Will I be judged if I don't give? That's got to be in there at some point, right? Like somewhere in my heart. If I don't ever give, Aaron, will I be judged? No. The answer is no. The New Testament principle is you give out of your own heart. But you will miss out on the compounding impact that giving makes in your life. You will miss out on the compounding impact of the strength of your faith as it grows, as you trust in him and not trust in wealth. And there are some really godly people who've been giving for years in this room, and we could go around and say, how did God provide for you when you continue to give? And you could tell stories. And it's been true of our life as well. There's a compounding impact to it. If you consider this to be your church home, we kind of have a four-step process in this way. And if, this is, if you're visiting, like, just take this with you. Go, okay, cool, maybe this was helpful. Um, 
but if this is your church home, if this is where you like, you know, being spiritually nourished and where you see yourself growing with your family and loved ones, here's our kind of four-step process we say. If you don't give, start to give something. Like just active worship to God. Could be anything. If you give, but you don't give regularly, this is where the habit of giving comes in. Give regularly. Begin to get in the habit of saying to God, I trust in you, not in this. And then third, if you give regularly, thank you, because you're the backbone of this church. Um, and it means a lot. And I always, I'm speaking to myself in the third category, to always prayerfully ask, how do I increase by a half a percent or more? Because giving's really cool. For us who are like really logical, it's like I can actually grow in faith by how much I give every year. You know what I mean? And that's pretty cool. And then lastly, some of us love to give. Like God has given you a passion to want to give. You have dreams in your heart to use your resources for something beyond yourself. And if that is you, find those things. Give to the local church. Give to missionaries. Give to causes that move the kingdom of God. Give to people and ministries that are doing good work for the God's work and for God's kingdom. And, and to give to that. If, if you're interested in knowing what those are here, I would love to talk to you about that. Just so you know, as a congregation, in the coming weeks, we're going to be making some changes to our stage. Um, and that, those changes, um, I'm going to be raised up like two inches so that I can see people in the back a little better. Um, and I don't always like that, but we'll just do that. We're going to do some things in the back here because we're a little DIY around here right now, which is fine. It's cool. Um, but those changes were given because someone had a passion and they gave a nice big donation to this church um, to do that specifically, which is really cool. Our very first um, gift, it always surprises me who the Holy Spirit moves to give. Always. Our very first gift was from a 28-year-old uh, young married couple. And they, they, uh, they met with me for coffee, and I didn't know what to expect, and they gave me a check for $15,000. And when they gave me that check, it delayed them buying a home. So it was a, it, it, it was a sacrifice. And they had never met any of you lovely people. The church hadn't even started yet. We had just been praying about it. And we used it to buy the soundboard, and those speakers. Pretty cool. See, they believe that their gift would have a compounding impact. It would go beyond them. It would go beyond them to bless you. And that's a part of our culture and who we are. I have a friend of mine named Trevor, Trevor Holt. Some of you know Trevor. He was the high school pastor at a church called Messiah Lutheran, and then he became our high school pastor at our main campus in Yorba Linda, and now he runs his family business. And I took my family to Biola University a few months ago to show my kids where my wife and I met when we were on campus. Hey, hey, a little blind date on campus there. Romance at Biola. And while we were walking, <laughs> if you're a Christian college student, you know, you know, it's like a thing. Um, so while we were walking there, they built a brand new building at Biola to train pastors. And it's this beautiful building. There. And inside of it is this 40-foot granite wall. And etched in this granite wall, the names of the people who gave to build this facility to train pastors to lead healthy churches. And on that wall, I looked at it, and I, I saw uh, my Greek professor, Doug. I can picture him helping me say that Greek alphabet when I was studying Greek in New Testament. And I saw the Bible president on there. I saw other names. And right at the eye level was my friend Trevor's name. On the list of all of these great, you know, great Bible profs and philanthropists, was just a youth pastor. And I knew when that building was built, it was around the same time that he started ministry, which you knew he had student loans. And he gave. Now, I wonder if, if Trevor really knew where his money was going. 
Did he know that it was going to go towards drywall to build a building? Did he know that it would go to some boring desks for pastors to pull out their laptops and study the Bible? I don't know. You know, sometimes our giving doesn't go to spectacular things. But all of it contributes to what God does to build up his ministry and his work. And the same thing is true for you as well. When we give, it, it literally goes sometimes to turn the heat on or the air conditioning on. It keeps the lights on. It puts kids' resources in their hands. Sometimes it goes to spectacular things like, you know, uh, paying for lunch for kids to go to Bible study at a high school. Sometimes it just goes to boring things. But it's all part of how God works in his church to fill a church and to lead a church to make impacts for the gospel. And so thank you for your generosity to this church. Uh, we're doing great, grateful for everyone. And uh, I want to invite you uh, to consider what it looks like to step into the journey of giving. There's someone else who's given a lot here, a really compounding effect uh, and impact here. That's Tori. And Tori's going to come up right now. And some of you are new. You're like, who's Tori? I don't know. She's cool. Uh, she is. Um, so Tori and I have known each other for oh man, like maybe over a decade now. She was in my college group when I was a college pastor. And today is uh, Tori's final, final Sunday here at our church, which we're sad about. I know. Um, so, hi. That was a long walk. I know. <laughs> right. um, so, over the last six months, I think we announced this six months ago in August, that Tori uh, felt a burden to raise up future generations of worship leaders uh, at our Yorblina campus. And so her job is to really spearhead all the worship teams for about 900 students and kids over at your Belinda campus. And then also to work with VBS, which you all know VBS. There's how many kids at VBS at your Belinda? Like, like 1,500. Yeah, it's a big VBS. Yeah. Uh, and, so, and she'll be writing some songs for, for kids as well. Uh, and, and so this is our final Sunday with her. She'll be peeking in here and there. Um, but we really wanted to kind of take this moment. moment. And Tori, thank you. Tori helped start this church. She hung lights. Uh, she sweated uh, profusely as we set up on the second stage, uh, second story of our building. Um, she built the audio team and the beginnings of the worship team. And Tori, you've really given us more than, than, uh, than we've given you. Um, but I hope you know how much we love you and how grateful we are. Your life has been this right here um, because I know um, you've shared it with our congregation, so this is public, that when you started to give, you were challenged, yeah. and that was a big deal. And God has used your, not only your giving financially, but the giving of your time and your talent and your treasure, everything, to do this, to build up the church, to go beyond the church, and to impact Jesus. So we are so thankful for you. Uh, can we give it up for Tori right now? Yeah. Um, I want to give you a chance just to kind of share with our church any yeah. thoughts, any thank yous. Yeah. I was like, I'm so good. And then he's like, I'm going to call Tori. I was like, <laughs> um, I think the only thing that I can say, I think, is, is thank you because I, like, there was so much trust that was given to me to step into this role from Aaron and Katie and our staff over at um, Your Belinda because. I came from leading students, and they were like, hey, we want you to step into leading worship at a campus. And I just am so, like, in awe of what Jesus has done in me and here. Like, even this morning, just seeing all of you here um, is crazy. Like, it is a crazy testimony of God's faithfulness. Um, and just 
think that we were we were at Silver Lakes and then we came over here. It's so wild. So, wow. um, yeah, I just want to say thank you guys for um, like being willing to be led by me, to be um, willing to like follow, to worship, and to pray and to intercede for what God is doing here. Um, thank you for, um, gosh, I could say a hundred things. Thank you for just caring for me. Um, so many of you individually have cared for me um, in so many different ways. And so this is a really like bittersweet. I'm so thankful that I'm still working at Friends because I think I would just be a puddle yeah. um, because I will be back. And But you guys, I am so excited for what God is doing. And I believe that it will overflow even into what is happening here. The students who are being raised up, I believe God has an insane, insane call on their lives, and I think it's literally going to change the world. I literally I do. I believe that. I believe that. <laughs> so, I believe that. it's so good, but thank you. Yeah. I can keep talking. Yeah. That's all I'm going to say is thank you. I love you guys. We, um, yeah. Come on up, Kate. We have a little gift from our church to you, um, some flowers, some nice flowers. But um, we actually are buying, uh, paying for an overnight uh, Christian retreat so that you can get away and pray and, but most importantly, write songs. Um, one of the best things we could do is like, invest in like, that heart to want to write Christian songs, especially for kids. And so um, when you're back, we'll figure out where and when the dates and all that. But we talked to the retreat center already. And then there's a little book and a card from our church. So thank you so much, Tori. Yeah, we're grateful. Yeah. Yeah. Can we stand and we'll pray over Tori and, and conclude our service. God, thank you for today and for the chance we have to give to the kingdom. And this is a chance, like, we, we get to give in different ways. So we get to give a blessing uh, and a send-off. And this is not a goodbye. This is just like a, hey, can't wait to hear about the next stage yeah. and the next story. Um, so Holy Spirit, we